0: Good evening. My name is Tayong. Uh, let's pray with me first. Heavenly Father, as we open Your Word, speak to our hearts and help us to listen and also touch our hearts in Your precious name. Amen. I have a glass of water here. Is anyone thirsty? Would you like a drink? But it's not fresh water. It's salt water. Do you want to check it? Is it real or not? <laughs> Maybe not. You may have wanted to drink it when you thought it was fresh water. But I'm guessing that you would quickly lose interest as soon as you th- Found it was salt water, even if you felt thirsty. Drinking salt water only makes you thirstier, and your thirst is never satisfied. That's what you probably learned from Science 101 class. Uh, Frederick Buchner well highlighted the characteristic of lust. He says, Lust is the craving for salt of a man who is dying of thirst. By definition, lust is an intense desire or wrong desire. We sometimes talk about lust for power or money. The sin of lust I'm going to talk about tonight relates to sexual desire. Sex is a wonderful gift that God has given to and for marriage. The desire for sexual intimacy is not wrong in itself. God invented sex and pleasure and the connection between the two. But last is the use for the sake of oneself, of another's body and feelings, treating them as an object or a thing rather than as a subject or a person. The power of lust is increasing in our world. We live in a sex-saturated culture. The lust of sexuality is all around. It's close to our hearts. Our culture feeds us images and fantasy and stories That cultivate lust in us, whether it's romantic novels or romantic comedies, whether it's TV shows or TV advertisements. Remove sex appeal from advertising. Advertising from the economy, and the economy from our civilization. And what would be left? Peter Krypt once answered, if lust seized tomorrow, we would be plunged into the greatest economic depression in history. And the seeds of lust can take root when they find fertile soil in our lives too. Our culture feeds the fantasy that people exist for our pleasure. It's training our brains to become consumers, not consumers of products, but consumers of people, turning people into products. The more technology advances, the easier it is to feed this consumer mentality. Pornography is accessible, affordable, and anonymous. This enables it to become a multi-billion-dollar industry. I don't know whether you know this. The porn industry rakes in more revenue than Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Google, eBay, and Yahoo combined. Many people today believe that even the act of fornication couldn't be simple because It doesn't hurt anybody. But studies show that looking at porn changes our brain. You develop a tolerance, so the images have less and less power to stimulate. Studies are showing that many young men are now impotent because their brains were virtually marinated in porn when they were adolescents. Patricia Wilkin, Kama's mother, a sexualist, talks about the impact of porn. There is a release of brain neurochemicals like dopamine when watching porn that mimic the drug high of cocaine. Porn use leads to an addiction cycle of desensitization and the need for increasingly higher doses. So porn rewires the brain and makes us us chase a thrill which needs to be greater and greater to satisfy our desires. There is one more problem. Looking at porn is not just impacting us. It's also impacting our relationships. A recent survey of university students discovered that more than 50% of students at Australian universities were sexually harassed at least once in 2016. Overwhelmingly, men were the main perpetrators. Form is impacting people in our world. When we feed lust and let it advance in our heart, we are destroying our relationships with others. Pornography only creates more thirst and quenches nothing, damaging our ability to be intimate with anyone. Although lust looks like a sin against our bodies, that's not all it is. People drink salt water because they feel thirst and don't see a way to their need in a better way. At the root of lust lies a spiritual hunger for love and intimacy. Our lusts are, in fact, needs and empty places inside. The presence of lust reveals a spiritual poverty that blocks true joy and intimacy. When there is no true joy, we pursue lust as a man to soothe and fill the emptiness. We are mistaken if we believe sex can fill that longing. Sex is often substituted for God. Our sin takes the good thing of sex and twists it for our own purposes. Lust can take our minds or hearts or actions outside the boundaries God intended. We run into trouble when lust shapes the way we see people, the way we see sex, and the way we see love. I'm speaking to you tonight as someone who is married But I know how deadly this sin is for me. And how easily it can poison a fruitful life. We can see a clear example from David's story. The story of King David shows us just how lust can impact our lives, how deadly it is, and how quickly it takes root and spreads. This isn't the story of some sick man, some perverted, power-hungry tyrant who takes advantage of people. David is the good guy in the Bible story. The slayer of Goliath, the friend to Jonathan, the servant of Saul. He's the powerful world general and the enthusiastic worship leader. He wins battles and writes praise songs to God, the strong warrior. David is the king after God's heart. So how did he end up here, the king after Bathsheba's heart? Well, even worse, the king who's after Bathsheba, but not after her heart. What went wrong for David? When David was becoming a very successful king, he was feeding his character to be selfish and self-centered, creating space in his heart for the weeds of pride to grow along with other sins. So here in chapter 11, verse 1, springtime comes. The time when kings go to war, David Sends his soldiers out while he stays home. His soldiers fight, but David remains in Jerusalem. Literally, it says, David sat in Jerusalem. This is David's mistake, not just that he doesn't go out with his friends, but that he removes himself from the action and his duties. David has ceased to be the king requested by Israel who would go out before us and fight our battles from 1 Samuel chapter 8 verse 20. Many commentators point out that when people disengage with normal life and activity it's easy to be tempted by lust and they cannot help but fall off easily. It's kind of Escape mechanism in a state of desire for excitement and departure that will allow them to escape bold lives. Last becomes an exit route. So one evening, David gets up from his bed, he goes up to the roof. And from there, his eyes catch sight of something that rouses his excitement. A beautiful woman bathing on her rooftop. Lust sprouts in David's heart. He doesn't know her name, so he sends someone to find what it is. He then knows who she is and whose she is. But he didn't pause. Suddenly, everything happens fast. He sent, he took, he lay, in verse 4. David wants this woman, and he's got the power. He makes an order, people obey. King David gets what he wants. David uses Bathsheba as an object for his own pleasure. There's nothing but action. Action. There is no conversation. There is no hint of caring, of affection, of love. Only lust. This is how lust takes root in our lives. For the fantasy to be fulfilled, we've got to strip people of their humanity, then turn them into a product that exists for our own pleasure. We reimagine a world where people exist only for us. We become kings of our kingdom with willing servants who do our bidding. Ultimately, lust puts us in the place of God. This is the sin of pride. Now we might say, but I'm not like David. I'd never do what he did. But here's one thing we learned from King David. The seeds of the most horrible atrocities are in every human heart. Every human heart has that same capability because the seed of lust grows in the same soil as any other sin. All seeds start small, they don't look like much, but they have so much potential. Do you believe that? Maybe you don't. Maybe you still think, no, I'd never do what David did. But the moment we say that, we've taken one big step towards sinning. The worst thing we could do is believe we are incapable of a wrong thought or action. The belief in our own virtue. Makes us more capable of failure. It's an irony, isn't it? Good things that God made us for us to enjoy become bad things when we make them the goal of our lives. When we place too much importance on something, we are devastated when we don't get that what we want. Ultimately, Lust seems to offer us a sense of worth, value, and significance, a fantasy world where we are desired, adored, and worshipped, a sense of love, connection, and intimacy. When we don't get this love we desire, we can get filled with self-pity. We feel sorry for ourselves. We feel worthless and lonely, and we will only feel adequate when there is someone else in our lives. When life is at the bottom of the wave, it's easy to fall into lust, and it is difficult to get out. Lust takes root and creates a fantasy where we are powerful and significant in the lives of other people. Lust says the lie that there's a way to feel adequate without having to commit. Lust can feed on anger. Lust can feed on envy. Sometimes we see the love and intimacy others share and we wish we had someone who loves and adores us like that. Lust also takes root and creates a fantasy where we are loved and adored and worshipped and the other person in the relationship exists just to make us feel good. This stuff is toxic, it's destructive, it's the deadly old self. That's why lust is so dangerous. That's why we need to ask ourselves not just about lust, but about how well we are progressing in showing love to others. And what it would be like to be free from the power of this deadly sin. To no longer hide it in the dark, but to bring it to light so we can enjoy the good life that that God made us for. To be free of lust, we need to learn to spot the lies and replace them with the truth. Our culture talks about love and intimacy, in terms of sex and self pleasure, we should not be fooled by the lies our culture whispers I have the right to enjoy anything with anyone I want. Sexual pleasure is worth pursuing more than anything. Our culture whispers that sexual pleasure is worth getting at any price. Is that true? We need to be reminded that our lives don't consist in the satisfaction of our sexual desire. We need to gaze deeply into the beauty of Jesus in Psalm 27 verse 4. We need to take delight in our Lord For he alone can deliver us and satisfy the desires of our hearts. Psalm 37, verse 4. We need to fix the eyes of our hearts on him because lust fixes our hearts on lies. And that's why Jesus came to turn our hearts back to him. To turn us back to the truth. David, was, David won lots of battles and defeated lots of enemies. However, there was one enemy he couldn't defeat. And there was one battle he could never win. He couldn't stop the seeds of sin taking root in his heart. But still, David would speak of a radical forgiveness. Forgiveness for a murderer forgiveness for himself as an adulterer, and forgiveness for us. How? By following a greater king than David. David was called a man after God's heart. But Jesus was a man with God's heart. Jesus came to do battle with a sin that David could never overcome and that we can, we can never defeat either. David couldn't beat lust, but Jesus does what David couldn't defeat sin. He brings the forgiveness David asks for and restores David's and also our capacity for intimacy. David took Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, for his own pleasure. But Jesus gives up his life up for his bride, the church. Not for his pleasure, not for his good, but for us. And for our good. He loves us so much, he dies for us, for our sin and our lust. He takes our place and punishment to wipe us clean of sin and to make us beautiful. Here is the place where a good life begins. God meets our need in his son. This is the basis of fruitful living, knowing that we are intimately loved by God, one with him, one with each other. Here is a better vision of intimacy, real intimacy. It's the place we find true intimacy with God. So the cross reminds us that we are dearly loved and precious to God. The cross reminds us that we have great worth and value in God's kingdom. It shapes the way to rewire our thinking for goodness and beauty, a way to look at people that is different to seeing them as objects for our own pleasure, a way to plant love in our hearts so it can spread into the lives of others. If the life that has no power of sin is where we are headed, what does it mean for us? Now, does it make any difference? What does it mean to live beyond sin, especially last? What we need to remi- remember is that to see Jesus as a supreme and sufficient is to see everything else as insufficient and lacking. To see stuff as worthy of our last is to see Jesus as lacking. To seek goodness outside of what God has called good is to appraise Jesus and find him lacking. We need to think like this and we need to live like this. Our lust for selfish pleasure does have consequences. Whether we are talking about sexual lust material lust, professional lust, or whatever, we are talking about the removal of the attributes of supremacy and sufficiency we give to staff. And this is the height of idolatry in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. This says that the removal of the attributes is idolatry as it stands. The the deepest passion of the soul is meant for God. When the true God comes, the false gods go. To conquer lust, love God. If you are not a Christian, think about our culture. People in our society live in an age of dazzling images. They don't have interest in the things that are unseen. The spectacular images which attract their eyes, ears, and hearts each day distract them from thoughts of such things. For some young people, it is hard to think of the existence of things unless they can eat, drink, or touch them. but many important things in our lives are invisible. Think of air, wind, and sunshine, the spiritual realm. It is not all that is visible, but it's important. So don't drink salt water because you don't see Come to Jesus and drink fresh water. Spiritual thirst is solved only through Jesus, the source of living water. So desire God rather than anything else. If you are a woman who may think lust is only sin of man, think the ways in which you are affected by our culture too. In times when sexual attractions are considered to be virtue and power, is there not a different desire for women beyond physical pleasure? We need to learn to let God lead us into a new life so we are no longer at the mercy of our addiction. So, what are the practical habits? To help defeat the sin of lust, there are three things I want you to think about. Firstly, if you are married, maximize intimacy with your spouse. If you are a single, cultivate friendship with your friends. Here is what Paul says Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Secondly, let's admit our weakness. We are still tempted to lust and dishonor God and others, and lots more. Don't think we are strong enough not to be tempted by lust. Don't give it a chance it would be very unrealistic to think that you can walk in the mud without getting dirt, dirt, dirty. If you think like that, probably you never have walked in the, in the mud. Thirdly, let's think at a community level. What's the new fruit we want to be cultivating as a church together? If love is the fruit God is growing in our lives, what kind of community is that going to produce? How will it change the way we do life together? God has made us to experience deep relationships with one another. Intimate relationships where people are known and loved. But it's not sexual intimacy. We do not need to let lust take root in our lives and poison our hearts and relationships. It will not quench our desire or give us contentment. We are not made to be isolated and disconnected from people. So isolation is deadly. It's the fertile soil for last to thrive. last thrives in the darkness of loneliness. That's why this habit of meeting together regularly is so important. But we need to make sure we don't treat church like a tap-up for our spiritual thirst or like a service station that fills our tanks that's the same deadly trap that feeds lust. We can become like a consumers, treating people as if they exist only for our benefit. But instead, we need to invest deeply in people here. Spend time developing intimate friendships where people are known and loved. We need these friendships so we can experience connection and love, which is what God made us for. We need these friends so lust doesn't stay in the dark. We need to grow to be the kind of community that helps all of us to follow Jesus better, whether we are single Married, divorced, engaged, widowed, or same-sex attracted. A community that really believes that Jesus is better than sex because we know that the best of sex is just a flicker compared to the joy, intimacy, and satisfaction we will experience in the new creation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so glad our sinful nature has been crucified with Christ. By your Holy Spirit, help us put last to death and put on your self-giving love to love one another and grow more like Jesus. In your precious name, amen.